once an ad is out or once copy is out what is the role that a, the agency and the copywriter play in understanding the impact of the ad because once it's out in in, in different uh, formats then it's out for us because we specialize in websites and landing pages there's so much data you can gather now on how people are interacting with the copy or the page mm-hmm. that if the client wants then the copywriter can have an ongoing because all copy is a hypothesis until it meets the reader mm-hmm. so the better the copywriter the better the hypothesis that they're forming about what will be persuasive but you can't know until you have the data Welcome to another episode of the brand called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of people from around the world. If you are new to our channel, please consider subscribing to it and hit the bell icon so that you never miss an update. Our episodes go live at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. India Standard Time every day. I am your host Ashutosh Garg and today I'm privileged to welcome a senior and accomplished marketer from Sydney, Australia, Stephen Lewis. Stephen welcome to the show. Thanks Ashish it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Stephen is the director of copywriting Taylist Australia. So Stephen let's talk about Taylist you know fa- fascinating name uh, tell me what you do at this venture. Taylist is it's a name we made up to embody the idea of a teller of fine tales because mm-hmm. that's really what copywriting is it's about understanding a business and its story and presenting that in a way that is compelling to its ideal prospect. So most of what we do is write websites or specifically landing pages that take a reader and compel them into action, whether that's clicking to call, to inquire, to download or to buy. Whatever the action you want, it's copywriting that will decide whether the reader takes that action. Okay. And uh about the work that you do as director of copywriting help me understand that also so we have a team of copywriters so part of my i mean i've been doing this for 26 years now so a lot of my experience is in working with the client to understand their business and then directing our research process to find out more about the customers and then working with our copywriters or doing some of the copywriting myself to get that message across in a way that is compelling. Mm-hmm. So you know when I was much younger uh, working for British American Tobacco India I used to sit in some advertising agencies and the copywriters were always the most creative people. Um what in your opinion makes a good copy? Research like you know that it it copywriting appears to be creative and it can be creative like i mean if you're coming up with a tagline for an ad you know if you've got a cigarette campaign and you need to grab somebody with a headline or you know whoever came up with a marlboro man that was intensely mm-hmm. creative yet it would have been based on research mm-hmm. you know they would have done that research and worked out you know the you know the brand wanted to be associated with people who were independent and strong and had a sense of their own destiny and then somebody would have thought well what embodies that as an icon more you know cowboys embody that as an icon mm-hmm. so a lot of there was a great copywriter called Eugene Schwartz who said 
great copy isn't written, it's assembled. Mm. And that is what makes a good copywriter the ability to do the research to find out what it is that people really want. Because and, nobody wants what you do. There's correct. something they really want. Correct. And, you know, would you like to share maybe some iconic copies that you and your team have uh, created? Um, well, we have worked in so many niches. Mm -hmm. and, and what I, you know, what I love about copywriting is that it puts the right people in the path of the right company to do what they need. So, for instance, some of the copy that I'm most proud of is where we've worked for doctors, um, specifically surgeons, mm -hmm. and we've presented them in a way like they are very good at what they do, but obviously if you're facing elective surgery, you've got a lot of choices generally between surgeons, and you can choose to do nothing at all if it's elective surgery. So, you know, we've done some work with surgeons that have really improved their conversion rates of getting the right people to come to them. So it's those sorts of examples that I think I'm most proud of in that I know people have really benefited at the end of that particular rainbow. So, you know, I've often debated this with the agencies I have worked with, you know, and I worked with several of them. Uh, once an ad is out or once a copy is out, what is the role that a, the agency and the copywriter play in understanding the impact of the ad? Because once it's out in, in, in different uh, formats, then it's out. For us, because we specialize in websites and landing pages, there's so much data you can gather now on how people are interacting with the copy or the page mm -hmm. that if the client wants, then the copywriter can have an ongoing, because all copy is a hypothesis until it meets the reader. Mm -hmm. So the better the copywriter, the better the hypothesis that they're forming about what will be persuasive, but you can't know until you have the data. Mm -hmm. So if you set the campaign up properly, and, and you know that goes right back to Claude Hopkins in you know, the 1920s with um, newspaper advertising. Mm -hmm. If you set up the campaign properly to measure who's responding and to what, mm -hmm. then you can constantly refine the copy. Okay. So online, for instance, we might use Hotjar. So to give you an example, we did a website for a wedding planner. We used Hotjar, which gives us an idea of where people's eyeballs are going on the page. Mm -hmm. And you could see that there was this particular paragraph about two-thirds of the way down that really got people stopping and reading that. Now, of course, more people will read the top of the page than reach the bottom of the page. So that copy clearly needed to be moved up to the top. We moved that up to the top and her conversion rate improved by 33%. Wow. So that's, that is an example of the work that you can get on an ongoing basis. And a follow-up question to that, Stephen, would be, you know, again, in my days, uh, we used to sit with the agency and they'd come up with a storyboard and we'd discuss that in much greater detail. But now in the age of digital media, um, I'm not sure if there is a, the luxury of so much time to react. And since you are focused a lot on websites, uh, how, do, how has the copywriting business, if I can use the term or the speciality, evolved because of the digital media? It has and it hasn't. Like One of the things that I love about copywriting is that it doesn't really change because human psychology doesn't really change. 
there's a lot of rubbish that's talked about people's attention spans are shorter than they were, which is rubbish because, you know, Hollywood films are longer than they used to be, right? So if people are interested in what you have to say, they will consume the content. So those things haven't changed. We are still the same fearful, uncertain, status quo, biased people that we always were. But what digital gives you the opportunity to do is test a lot of different angles very fast. So copywriters have always done that. You know, again, Claude Hopkins, scientific advertising, they would put one ad in Chicago and one ad in San Francisco and they would see how it was all different. So A-B testing isn't new either, Mm -hmm. but you can do that so quickly now. You know, you're very fast. You can run a Facebook campaign with five different angles and then go, well, that audience really liked that angle. So now let's build the landing page around that angle. So maybe you've spent $2,000 on Facebook to work out where you should invest your effort on the landing page. So that speed is phenomenal. And uh, my next question is that, you know, a lot of marketers rely on advertising and copy to build a successful brand. My question to you from your perspective is what goes into a successful brand? I think the word authenticity is horrendously overused now, but it has to be something you feel you can rally behind. So, you know, I mean, Nike is a, you know, a classic example. We all feel we know what they stand for and we all believe that's authentic to Nike and therefore it can run and run and you can run different campaigns and you can have different angles and you can have different sports stars behind it, but the ethos is the same. And it has to be deep. Like if you can't go deep. So for for instance, um, with Tayless, we went through a branding exercise a few years ago, which was, you know, really helpful. Like what do we care about? Mm-hmm. And, and what we came to as the absolute core of what we are is ridding the world of bullshit one sentence at a time. Like, that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can build a whole brand around that because every single thing that we put out in terms of our marketing has that in its DNA. So if you, if you have that DNA level understanding of what you stand for, then you can build a brand that endures. If all you stand for is trying to make budget this month, then then that will crumble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, when I was speaking to a few senior marketers on my show, uh, a lot of them are really struggling with how to handle their brands in the new world of, you know, very quick reactions in the digital environment. Uh, do you think the copy needs to keep changing repeatedly? When you say copy, do you mean you need to put up new copy? Yeah. I think you need constant, fresh content, Mm -hmm. potentially, depending on the brand that you have. Like there are lots of examples of, I mean, there's one very famous example by a copywriter. I think I'm not going to remember who it was, Mm -hmm. so I won't won't name them. But it's a um, how to... How to get back together with your ex. So he sells an information product on how to get back together with your ex. That has been running, I think it's about 20 years now. Wow. Same copy, same message, nothing's changed because 
we might have Facebook now, we might have Google now, which we didn't have, you know, 20, 20 years ago, well, we did have Google 20 years ago, 25 years ago, let's say, but we still feel the same way when we break up with somebody we love. None of that has changed, digital or not digital, Tinder or no Tinder. Mm-hmm. So you can have copy that is absolutely timeless. And if you read some of the classic copywriters, you know, some of the great examples like, you know, the, the lemon ad behind me, mm-hmm. that would still persuade people to buy today. You know, it's, it's some good copy is, is pretty timeless. Mm-hmm. And what would you... Uh, uh, you know, give from, for, for all our viewers and listeners, give you an example of, say, a timeless copy. Um, what would be a good example of, of timeless copy? I, I, an example I really like um, is the Blue Blocker sunglasses, which is a Joe Sugarman example. So um, well before we all had screens, in the 1980s, Joe Sugarman, this copywriter, came across blue light blocking as a concept and he bought into a sunglasses company that made these and he used copy to sell 20 million of these sunglasses over time and the ads for blue blocker sunglasses are not really significantly different today from what they were in the mid-1980s because as a copywriter Sugarman one understood his audience and as I say what people want is pretty timeless Mm -hmm. um he wrote in short, sharp, attractive sentences, not a lot of jargon, you know, language that still holds up today. Um, so that, that sort of copy, if you were to see an ad for Blue Blocker sunglasses mm. from the 1980s today, yeah. you might want to change the image, but you probably wouldn't want to change very much about the copy. Interesting. Because, I, you know, I was t- telling somebody else about a timeless copy that I remember four decades ago when I did went to business school was David Ogilvy's uh, Rolls Royce at 60 miles per hour. The only sound you hear is the clicking of, ticking off your clock. And, and uh, wouldn't that want, make you want to buy Rolls Royce again today? Absolutely. And it's another great example of the research because o- Ogilvy is such a phenomenal example of that. He went to the Rolls Royce plant. Mm-hmm. He went to, um, oh, I can't remember, there was a, there was a coffee that... Mm-hmm. There's something that nothing smells like coffee roasting or oh, I'm blanking on the on the thing now, but it oh, smells as good as it tastes, mm-hmm. which I think was an Nescafe slogan. He came up with that by visiting the factory because mm-hmm. you can sit in an office and talk about mm-hmm. coffee and how many beans you want to sell and buy and, you know, whether your brand is elegant or not elegant. But smelling the coffee roasting, you can only do in the factory Mm. and that is why you know so even with ogilvy one of the greatest copywriters who ever lived if you read his biographies or his autobiography Mm. you see time and again those breakthroughs came down to research although the man in the hathaway shirt with the eye patch that came down to going into a pharmacy 10 seconds before the shoot but on the whole his stuff came down to research i agree with you so you know when i was reading about you uh, you made a comment that how do words make my phone ring? Give me an example. Well, I mean, that in itself is a good, so I mean, that's a tagline that I have on LinkedIn, for instance, and the number of people who contact me mm-hmm. through LinkedIn because they read that, which is my the headline on my LinkedIn post, mm-hmm. and they said, 
I immediately understood what you do because copywriting is one of those things. A lot of people don't understand what it is. A lot of people who even know what a copywriter is think that it's just about writing nicely mm-hmm. um, and putting the apostrophes where your English teachers would think the apostrophes should go. They don't understand that it's research and psychology rendered as salesmanship in print. But when you read a line like copywriting that makes your phone ring, you go, oh, because it's what the person wants. Nobody wants copywriting. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know what I want is I want a thousand words. What they want is their phone ringing. And that is a line that works for that reason. And people quote it to me all the time. Very interesting. So Stephen, I'm now going to move to the second part of our conversation. There's no questions for you personally. Let me start by asking you, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? For me, I think it was the first milestone uh, would have been in 1994 when I started building websites. Mm-hmm. Um, I read in a magazine about this thing called the internet. And, you know, back then, as I'm sure you remember, you know, you were dialing up, you were unplugging your computer from the phone line and you're plugging it in. And if you were building a website, you were literally typing all of the code. There was no WYSIWYG editor. And that was 1994. And then I started a business selling websites. And that was a terrible time to try to sell websites because nobody knew what a website was. Um, So people weren't buying them. Um, And then I went into editing, because I have a law degree, I went into editing a legal journal. Mm -hmm. And I had an epiphany that I didn't want. I was was there one day editing a lawyer's writing and I wasn't enjoying it. And I realized I'd always wanted to be a writer. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be an editor. And those are, they're, they're not the same things. So then I went into journalism and the journalism combined with my knowledge of the internet, because back then, sort of 1997, when I started in journalism, there weren't a lot of people who could write about the internet because there weren't a lot of people who knew what the internet was. Mm -hmm. So I got a column in a newspaper, and from that technology column in a newspaper in Hong Kong, which is where I grew up, Mm -hmm. um, technology companies would contact me and ask me to write for them. So that's how I became a copywriter. And then, so that's two milestones. One, building the uh, websites. Two, that that recognition that I wanted to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. And then the third was when what we used to call Web 2.0 came along, which was, you know, the ability to blog and podcast and have wikis. And essentially, you didn't need an expert to build your website or to put content on a website. That combined two of my skills being understanding of the internet and um, journalism to start taking my work on online and selling the words for websites online. So that that would, I think, be the third, that sort of advent of Web 2.0. Fascinating. And starting what was then a social media agency in 2004, selling social media to people who didn't know what social media was in 2004, uh, and from there into copywriting. So that's really how I got to where I am now. Fascinating. And, you know, uh, as a copywriter who's really taking dreams of an organization out to consumers what are some of your core values i cannot stand bullshit i'm just not interested in bullshit Mm. at all and that informs everything that we do it's what drives me to do this so 
you know, we do a lot of work for companies that are successful. They have a great product. Mm -hmm. They are selling that product to people. There is a market, but they cannot explain in words or in writing anyway, what they do and why you should care. Mm -hmm. And that is because people are trained to write gibberish all the time, nonsensical, long-winded, pompous crap <laughs> about their product or their service. And it doesn't work. And I hate it. Um, so really, we, I mean, that is probably my core value is, is the one person fight against um, bullshit and integrity. Like we don't take on clients whose products we don't believe in or whose services we don't believe in um, and we deliver what we say we will deliver um, and we have a good time while we're doing it. So we are ourselves. So really, I, I care deeply about communicating clearly. Um, I care deeply about doing what I say I'm going to do and I care about having a good time while we're doing it. So if we don't enjoy the people we're working with, we, we will stop working with them because probably if we're not enjoying them, they're not enjoying us and, and nobody's very happy. So a follow-up question to that, uh, uh, Stephen, is that for a person who started selling websites, became a journalist, became a legal individual, and now is a copywriter, from where you stand today, what does success mean to Stephen? I, with the greatest respect to people who work in large organizations, I was not happy when I worked in large organizations. I'm not bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like long, pointless meetings. And I know these things are cliches, and yet sure. they're cliches for a reason. Yep. The, this is how things work in big organizations, and I didn't. So success for me quite literally means not having to work in that environment. If, if I had to go back into that environment, that would be the opposite of success for me. And as I say, I say that with a, a lot of people love it and are very happy in those environments, and, and that's fantastic. I just am not built for that okay. at all. Wonderful. So I've got time for two more questions for you. Uh, my next question, as someone who is creative, who or what inspires you? I am constantly in awe of people who execute, to use the current phrase. Having ideas is so easy. Actually putting the steps together and following them is incredibly difficult. So, you know, the people I admire, I mean, you know, of course, you, you know, I could point to a great leader or a great orator or there are many copywriters like Ogilvy that I hugely admire. But the people I really admire are the people I know in my life who have an idea and then go through the painstaking process of making it happen because I am as guilty as the next person of coming up with a great idea that I just don't apply myself to. So that's where I seek inspiration. Very interesting. And my last question to you, and this is a question on failure. From the part of the world that I come from, parents don't teach children it's okay to fail. We're always told first in line, first in class, et cetera, et cetera. And that manifests itself in our behavior pattern. And I'm sure you know a lot of people from my part of the world. My question to you is that we all learn and we fail, we learn. What have been some of your learnings from your, some of your mistakes? 
Well, I mean, I made the same big mistake twice, which I've already alluded to. One was um, getting into a website business mm-hmm. when it was just too early. Like, I mean, I, I try and explain this. My son is 23 and he has no comprehension when I say to him, you go into a meeting and you'd say, I sell websites. And they'd say, well, what is a website? Mm-hmm. And you'd spend 20 minutes explaining what a website was. And then they'd say, yeah, I've got a Yellow Pages ad. I think we're okay. Mm-hmm. And then they say, but before you go, we've heard of this thing called email. What is email? (laughs) The business I should have been in was Mm. teaching people about the internet because people obviously had enough interest to call me in for a meeting where I gave them free education. And I did a similar thing, stupidly, Mm. 10 years later when I started a social media agency. And when I say I was early, Mm. I started my social media agency in 2005. Mm. Twitter didn't start till 2006. I don't think you could get a Facebook account until 2007. And I had a full-time social media agency before Twitter, before Facebook. I was podcasting in 2004. Again, I should have been teaching people about social media, not trying to sell them Hmm. social media. So I'm very conscious now not to be too far ahead. I think there's this incredible pressure now that if you're not doing the edge thing, you're somehow too late and you're like, man, 80% of people aren't even on, they're not in the surf yet, let alone on the wave. Don't you worry. Yeah, of course. Everyone you know is already surfing into the beach, but they're about 1% of the population. So concentrate on where the 90% is and you'll be fine. Fantastic. Stephen, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure speaking to you. I've enjoyed everything that you've spoken about the copywriting business and what goes into writing a good copy. Thank you again and good luck. Thanks, Ashish. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.